Morning, everyone. We doing good today? Awesome. Glad to be here with you today. Um, we are continuing our sermon series, which we've called Focus. Uh, if you have your workbooks, get them out. If you don't have one, um, we have more at the Welcome Center. You can sneak out and, and get one either now or after the service. Um, we ask this, at the beginning of this series, we ask this kind of driving question for the series. And the driving question was as individuals and as a church, where is God calling us to focus our energy in the coming season? And so we've kind of, uh, we've kind of worked through the, um, the first part of that, the individual's part. And uh, hopefully, we've worked on that for the past four weeks, and hopefully you've made your way through the personal reflection questions. Um, if you haven't, there's still time to catch up. And once you've made your way through those, um, on page 13, you'll find instructions for putting it all together. And basically what, the, what it's going to say is take all your answers to the questions, and you can copy them over and write them nicely and reword them if you want. Copy them over onto the very back page where it says my personal calling statement. And what we want that to be is we want that to be your answer to the question, where is God calling me to focus in the coming season. And so we just had, we had care group this past week and um, just had an amazing discussion as God is, is using these questions and this process to, to sort of lay things on people's hearts and clarify um, what he's doing and where he wants them to go in their lives. And so we trust that this will be fruitful for you. Um, if you. If you get nothing else out of this series, do this. And you'll need this in a couple weeks in our June 4th service. We're going to do something cool with this. Um, so that's the individual side, and then today we're going to kind of shift gears and focus on, as a church, where is God calling us to focus our energy over the next season? And so you'll still need your workbooks. We're on page 15 today. Um, we've got space for you to take notes, and then there's space at the bottom. It says connections to my personal calling. What we want to do is create connections between your calling and our calling as a church. And so if anything I say today uh, resonates with what you believe God has been laying on your heart during this season, just write it down there. Um, don't, like, don't trust yourself to remember it. Write it down. And um, yeah, and that'll be helpful to you going forward. So that's, that's on page 15. So again, the question is, as a church, where is God calling us to focus our energy over the next season? And uh, we asked you actually this question, not in so many words, but we asked you this question in late 2016 because we believe God speaks through his people. And so we used a, ch a tool called the Church Health Assessment Tool, which is basically a, a survey created by Leadership Transformations uh, in, in the States. And it's a survey which allowed the church body to speak into our life as a church. And so we got a lot of participation in that. Thank you to everyone who participated. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, had 92 people respond, which is, um, that's a high percentage. So great range of people as well. And, and so we got a report out of that. Um, and as we, we, we've reported back on that a little bit, as as pastors and council, we've gone through that report and discerned that there were three strategic priorities that God is very clearly laying on not just our hearts as leaders, but all of our hearts as a church. That again and again, these three things kept coming up, which, which 
um, yeah, clearly God is, is moving our hearts toward these three things. And we also believe they're biblically very important for a fruitful church. And so we have these three strategic priorities, encounter God, equip God's people, and engage the city. Um, they all start with E because that's most of what they teach you in seminary. So I, I just... <laughs> Sorry, Randy. It's really important that you alliterate. So three strategic priorities, that's kind of, we believe that's our best answer to the question, where is God calling us to focus as a church in the coming season? And so we've got three weeks left in this series, and so three priorities, we'll do one each week. So today we're going to talk about Encounter God, and that's kind of the headline, and then we've got a statement that we put together um, coming out of the feedback that we got. And so it says, we believe God is calling us to become people who seek God deeply in prayer and worship and depend radically on the Holy Spirit. Now this is something that we believe is important for South Langley at this time, but we also just believe it's Im important for a vibrant Christian life, and we believe that Scripture backs it up, and so there, there are lots of places we could go in Scripture to talk about this. We're going to go to one place uh, today, which is John chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. John chapter 4. Let me, let me kind of set, set the scene here. This, there's a bit of a story. So Jesus in John chapter 4 is, is walking through a region called Samaria. And it gets to around noontime and so it's hot out. Um, so he needs a drink. He goes to the village well. He, he meets a woman there and he winds up having a conversation with her. And this conversation, uh, by all rights, should not have happened. In fact, if you read the whole chapter, people are shocked that this conversation happened. It's a little bit because she's a woman and women were kind of marginalized in that culture. But more importantly, it's because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Now, what does that mean? I'll, I'll give you the history. So he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Uh, this goes back, way back. There, there's, there are tensions between Jews and Samaritans. Um, do I need to back my mic off? Yeah? I'm just going to do it real quick. Um, so there were tensions between, there's tension between me and my microphone right now. All right, that's as good as it's getting. Uh, there were tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans in this time. Um, about... About 900 years before this, in, in nine, 930 B.C., the kingdom of Israel split in two. And so we learned about King Solomon earlier this year. He had a son, Rehoboam, who was not as popular as Solomon. He had some unpopular um, economic policies. He canceled Solomon care. <laughs> that was terrible. So it, what he really did was he taxed the people way too hard. And so the northern ten tribes of Israel uh, broke off. They, they rejected him as king. They broke off. And so you wound up with the northern kingdom, uh, which was called Israel. And then Rehoboam uh, reigned over the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Uh, and then, yeah, Judah. Uh, and then within a few generations, that northern kingdom uh, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And... and the people of that northern kingdom intermarried with the non-Israelite peoples around them. Uh, God had told his people to remain separate, remain distinct, and, but they, after the kingdom fell, they intermarried. Now we're in the time of Jesus, and we have the Jews 
and they're the descendants of that southern kingdom, that racially unmixed kingdom, Judah. And then we have the Samaritans, and they're the descendants of those mixed marriages um, from the northern kingdom. Um, and so the, the Jews really, really cared about their racial identity. They believed they were the true people of God, and they were suspicious of the Samaritans because they said, you intermarried, uh, you're not the true people of God. And so there was this tension. It was, it was kind of bad between them. But there are these two groups of people, and they trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and ja- Jacob. Uh, they both read and believe in uh, the Torah, the, the books of the law, the first books of the Old Testament, first five books. But there's this racial divide between them, and so often Jews wouldn't even travel through Samaria. And then there was also a theological divide between them. They both believed, believed in, in God, believed in Yahweh, and they both believed that God wanted to dwell in a particular place among his people and be worshipped, be encountered by his people in a particular place. But they read the scriptures and they disagreed over what the place was. And so... The Jews believed it was in the temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believed it was uh, on a mountain um, called Mount Gerizim, which would have been visible to Jesus and this woman uh, as they're having their conversation. Because way back in Genesis, Abraham uh, built an altar on Mount Gerizim. And so they said, that's the place. So this was the big theological question that divided them. Jesus comes in, he starts having a conversation with this woman. It actually gets a little bit too personal for her liking, and so she's changing the subject, and she changes the subject by dropping this big theological question on him. That's where we pick it up in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship uh, the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So she asks Jesus this somewhat simple question. <clears throat> and like a good preacher, Jesus drops on her more theology than she bargained for. So, so there's a ton in what Jesus says here. Um, so so let's, just, let's just dig into it. We'll, we'll dig into it. Um, so he says this thing about the time. He says, believe me, he says it twice. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. And then a couple seconds later, he says, the time's coming. Actually, it's, it's here now. And this time he speaks of, it, it, which seems to be dawning at this moment, right? It's coming, it, it's actually, it's, it's here now. Like this time is peeking in now. Uh, and it's a time when worship will fundamentally change. Right? He's, he's kind of giving us here a new model of worship, which we'll unpack. And it's coming because there's this new time coming. If you study John, you'll find out that whenever Jesus talks of, about the time, uh, in, in Greek it's literally, it's the hour. He's referring to the work 
that, G- that he came to do in the world, which ultimately uh, culminates with him dying on the cross. That Jesus came to walk among us, live a perfect life, and ultimately die for our sins. And the moment that, and the moment that that work was completed was called the time or the hour. And so here he is, and he's kind of in, in the midst of doing this work, and he says, the time is coming. Well, it's kind of here now because he's in the midst of doing this work. The time is just, this, this new time is dawning, and Scripture teaches, uh, because Scripture teaches that because Jesus came and died for our sins, he removed our guilt. And one of the things, one of the things that happened when Jesus came and died, when the hour came and Jesus came and died for us, he removed our guilt, and we had access to God. We, we read in, in the Bible that when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two because it was a barrier between human beings and God, but now we were given access. And so uh, we, can, we can encounter God now because of Jesus. That's really important. And so, and so big idea number one is Jesus' work transforms our worship. That the fact that Jesus came, the, the fact that this, t- this time, this hour came, uh, changes the way that we encounter God. Hebrews 10 unpacks this, um, unpacks this really nicely, actually. It says, uh, it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And so, and so, the starting point here is that Jesus came to bring in a new time where we would encounter God, where, where we would worship differently. And so he's going he's gonna to give us now a new model of worship that's available to us because of what Jesus did. Now, now let's take a look at what this new model of worship is. So he says, believe me, verse 21, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter when you will worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And then skip to verse 23. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Do you see what Jesus did there? He didn't actually answer her question. He actually changed the question. So she asks him a question about worship, uh, about how people should encounter God. And she asks him, she asks him a body question. Okay, do you, do you get, like she asks him a body question. So when I worship, you know, when, when I get up to go worship God, should I, should I go to Jerusalem or should I go to Mount Gerizim? She asks him a body question. And Jesus essentially tells her that's the wrong question. That's why he says, the time's coming when it will no longer matter. It, it won't matter where your body is. Jerusalem, Gerizim, it, it won't matter. And then he changes the question. He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So she asks him a body question. And listen, he replaces her body question with a heart question. She wants to define true and right worship by, by where my body is. And, and Jesus Jesus says, no, true worship isn't about Jerusalem or Gerizim. True worship is about worshiping in spirit and truth. And so it doesn't matter where your body is. It matters where your heart is. When we talk about worship, when we talk about encountering God, it doesn't matter where your body is. 
it matters where your heart is. So let me ask you, where's your heart? Where's your heart, church? It's appropriate for us to ask ourselves that question. I think we should be asking ourselves that question several times a day. Like, honestly, where's my heart? Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Don't just assume, like, is your, like, where's your heart? And the reality is our, our bodies can be in church on Sunday. Our bodies can be at care group. Our bodies can be sitting down with our Bible open on our lap. And, and we can think that because our bodies are there, we've checked the box. That's what the Jews thought when they went to a temple in Jerusalem. That's what the Samaritans thought when they went up the mountain, uh, Mount Gerizim. And we say, oh, I, I showed up, but I didn't encounter God. Well, I think Jesus' words would push back on us and say, well, your body showed up. Did your heart show up? By the way, it's May Long Weekend. Thank you. I'm glad your bodies showed up. Thank you. you guys are awesome. But, but did your heart show up? Where, where's your heart? You've got to ask yourself that question. If you're, if you're having trouble encountering God, the first place to look is your, heart, is your heart. And so is there something going on in your heart? Now, maybe there's something negative going on, um, some, some idolatry, some unconfessed sin, something that's, that's coming between you and God that need, needs to be dealt with. And, but then on the positive side, the, the question is, have you positioned your, your heart to encounter God? Like, have you positioned your heart to encounter God. Over the centuries, um, there are a series of, of practices which Christians have used to position their hearts to encounter God. They're called the spiritual uh, disciplines. Prayer, scripture reading, silence, solitude, um, fasting. We don't like to talk about that one. But. And, the, and we're going to go over, over the course of summer, we're going to take you through those different practices uh, different spiritual disciplines that people have used to just try and position their heart to encounter God. And so that's going to be our summer sermon series. It's called Habit. Um, so that kicks off July 2nd. encourage you to dig into that. In the meantime, uh, if there's no way that you're, that you're deliberately positioning your heart to encounter God, I'd say, like, start with, like, start with spending some time every day reading some scripture and doing some praying just just start how how much per day 10 hours is good if you don't have 10 hours one hour is better than zero and 30 minutes is better than zero and 10 minutes is better than zero like maybe 10 10 minutes is better than zero just start at least start giving some thought to how how am i engaging my heart with god how am i positioning my heart to encounter god so the question isn't where your body is, but where your heart is. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 8, um, quoting the prophet Isaiah, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God forbid that that should be true of us. We want to be a people who show up in, in body, but people who show up with our hearts as well, so that we can encounter God. Now, uh, 
Jesus says in verse, verses 23 and 24 that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's a short phrase, but it's got a lot in it. And so we want to dig, I believe we can get a whole, um, a, a pretty well-rounded understanding of biblical worship from that phrase. And so we're going to look at worship, then spirit and truth, and then we're going to put it all together and, and sort of understand what it means to encounter God in this, um, this new time that Jesus introduced. So let's talk about the word worship. In Greek, the word is proskuneo, and it literally means to bow down before someone, uh, to, to, to bow low to the ground. And it's applied uh, over and over in Scripture. It's, it's applied to the worship of God, and it's also applied over and over in Scripture to showing respect to other people, uh, people of high status. And so what would happen is you would, it was a culture with, it's a much more respectful culture than ours, um, you would see someone approaching and you would recognize that they were of high status. It's a, a ruler or a religious leader or a king or um, a teacher. You would see them and, uh, and recognize that they were of high status. And as they approached, you would respond by bowing down to them. So there's two elements. There's a seeing and a responding. Uh, it's very, that's proskuneo. It's very similar, it, actually, in the roots of the English word. The English word used to be worth-ship, which they changed because it's really hard to say. Worth-ship, like, like friendship, but with the word worth. And so the idea is the same, that you would see someone, you would recognize their worth, and then you would respond, and, and that's worship. So, there, so in both the Greek and the English, worship is there, there's kind of these two elements, right? There's the seeing and the responding. Uh, or if I could put it this way, there's a receiving and a giving. Right? When you see something, you receive light to your eyes, like, like we saw today. And, and then when you respond, that's something that's, that's coming out of you, right? So there's a, a receiving and a giving to worship. I think that's maybe the best best way to understand that word worship. There's a, a receiving and a giving. I think scripture bears this out. So if you read, uh, read the Psalms, which is the, the worship book of Israel, you find some of the Psalms talk about, about seeing God, about receiving something from God. Like it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8. And then there are other Psalms that talk about giving something to God, about responding to God. Like Psalm 29, 2, which says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So worship happens kind of in two directions. There's, there's the seeing and the responding. There's the receiving and the giving. So two directions. Now stick with me here. Two directions of worship. Also two modes of worship. And those two modes are spirit and truth. So, so let's talk about those. We'll talk about truth first because it's uh, a little bit simpler. Worshiping in truth. Uh, worshiping in truth does mean sincere worship. It means that we, we're actually really worshiping, but that's not, that's not sufficient because if I'm sincerely worshiping a dung beetle, it's like that's not helpful. And so it's more than just sincere worship. It's sincere worship, uh, worship that's placed on the right object and, and where I've understood the object of my worship correctly. 
It's worshiping God and worshiping God with a right conception of God. Worshiping in truth is about getting your understanding of God right. It's, and, and it's precise and it's, you know, it's, it's the realm of theology and words and, and propositions and, you know, all, all that kind of nerdy stuff. And so there's, there's worshiping God in, in truth and there's also worshiping God in spirit. Now, I read a bunch of commentators on this point, the, the idea of worshiping God in spirit. Here's, here's basically what they all said. We worship in our spirits through the work of the Holy Spirit. We worship God in our spirits through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a Christian, the Bible teaches that, that God the Holy Spirit lives within you. And what Jesus seems to be saying here when he talks about worshiping in spirit is that there's a deep down spiritual reality to our worship that the Holy Spirit makes possible. It would, it, it would be impossible without the Holy Spirit. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 3 supports this. It's, it says, we worship, says, we worship by the Spirit of God. Um, now what we find in Scripture is that this deep down spiritual reality of encountering God is often something beyond words. It's something beyond words. Like truth, you can kind of put into words, you can explain it neatly, but then there's this spirit thing, and it's beyond words. In fact, Romans 8, 26 says this. says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Maybe, maybe you've had an experience in, in prayer, in worship, where, where you've encountered God in that way, where there's something going on that you, you couldn't, even put it, couldn't even put it into words. A few weeks ago here at church, uh, we were singing together, and like I just started weeping. And, and I, I, have, like, I don't know why. I can't say why I was... I mean, partly Dennis was shredding on the mandolin, which gets me halfway there. But, but what I believe is, is that this is what was happening, that God, the Holy Spirit, was actually doing something in my heart. I can't, I, I believe the Holy Spirit knows what he was doing in my heart. I have no idea. Like, I can't say what the Holy Spirit was doing in my heart. And so there's an element to our worship that's a spiritual occurrence that's, that's deep down and often beyond words. So, two Two directions, two modes. Uh, big idea, or, or third big idea, is worship is giving and receiving, and it happens in spirit and truth. Now watch what happens when we put this all together. Uh, we encounter God through giving and receiving, and in spirit and in truth. Uh, several years ago, wh when I was getting um, credentialed as, a, as an MV pastor, I put this together, and I put this in my credentialing paperwork, and they still credentialed me, so I think this is not false teaching. This is not false teaching. This, this is how I understand biblical worship based on where we're going here uh, in John chapter 4. If we can just put that diagram up, guys, yeah. So it's kind of like a graph, like, like a, is it called a Cartesian plane? Like, like so, so we have giving and receiving, and then we have spirit and truth. And I believe 
that every act of worship, whether we're singing or praying or serving God with our gifts or in Christian fellowship with others or we're enjoying God's creation, that every act of worship can, could theoretically kind of fall somewhere on, on this spectrum. We, we kind of have these, these four quadrants, right? Different areas of worship that are clearly biblical. Like it, like it doesn't say give, just give or receive. It says give and receive. It doesn't say just spirit or truth. It says spirit and truth. And so biblical worship occurs in all four quadrants of this diagram. This is kind of, I believe this is the full scope of biblical worship. Now, all of us probably have like one quadrant that feels like home for us. Like one spot on this diagram where we're, you know, maybe, maybe you're more of a giver or a receiver. You, you know, you like to speak to God rather than hear from God. Or maybe, maybe you're more on the spirit side. Maybe you're more on the truth side. You like ideas, uh, like it to be precise kind of thing. We, we probably all have like one spot on this, this diagram where we're most comfortable. I think, I think the challenge of Jesus' words here would be, to embrace the full spectrum. Like you, like, you may have one spot that's, that's more natural for you, but if biblical worship is all of this, shouldn't we at least touch every, every quadrant? Shouldn't we at least touch every kind of worship? And so worship, worship is not just giving or receiving, it's giving and receiving. It's, it's seeing God, right? We sang about that so much today. We, we saw the video, the whole thing. It's, it's seeing God, our scripture reading, how we see God and it transforms us. And then it's responding to God and, and giving him praise. And so we sang, we sang, I want to see you high and lifted up. And then we sang, holy, 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 because we're responding. And it, and it doesn't say spirit or truth. It says spirit and truth. Actually, in Greek, it's, it's not in spirit and in truth. It's in spirit and truth. My technical language. So, so the challenge I want to leave you with, and the challenge I believe John four gives to us, is to embrace the full spectrum of biblical worship. So, for us, I'll just I'll just uh, say for for us who are in church leadership, as we're thinking through this as a strategic priority, um, some of it, some of it is just like little things, like we're giving more attention behind the scenes as leadership. Um, to our own encounters with God. We're, we're giving more of an emphasis on prayer, more emphasis to making sure that, that our hearts are positioned to hear from God rather than just doing the ministry. Um, we're also trying to um, program in such a way that we can help you encounter God more, and that's why we're doing this habit series over summer. Uh, that's a start. And we're just going to create more opportunities uh, when, we're, when we're in worship to encounter God uh, more deeply and more fully and across the full spectrum of worship. And we're going to start with that today. And so worship team, you guys can come on up. Prayer team, you guys can come on up. Um, I'm going to invite you to respond in a couple of ways. First, uh, I'll just say this again. If there's anything I said today that connects in some way, big or small, to your personal calling, um, or just that resonates with, with you, write it down at the bottom of page 15. 
And we're just going to take some time today to, to come into the presence of God and to encounter him. And so uh, the team's going to start, start playing in a moment, and um, we'll just have some quiet music. And, and we're going to invite you in your seats to take a couple minutes and to pray. Uh, just pray. Just do some business with God. We're going to give you uh, a couple of prayer topics um, coming out of what we talked about here. Ask God, what is the state of my heart? And then ask the Holy Spirit to help you encounter God by worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so we'll invite you to just, in your seats, pray, pray for that silently. And then we're going to take a little bit of an extended time in worship together. Um, we invite you, we invite you to worship deeply. We also, uh, yeah, we have the prayer team up on this side. Uh, use them. We... If we believe that we're going to encounter God here on a Sunday, then we have to believe that it's going to change us. Now, our scripture reading today said we can see God and it transforms us. We have to expect for things to happen here. We have to expect that God is going to do things. And, and so, man, my dream is that it would become normal for us to need 10 prayer team members up here. So you can, so you can visit the prayer team as we're singing or afterwards. And let me just, uh, I'll close with this, with this uh, quote from Jim Simbala. He wrote this in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If our churches don't pray, and if people don't have an appetite for God, what does it matter how many are attending the services? How would that impress God? Can you imagine the angels saying, oh, your pews. We can't believe how beautiful they are. Up here in heaven, we've been talking about them for years. Your sanctuary lighting, it's so clever. The way you have the steps coming up to the pulpit is wonderful. No, I don't think so. If we don't want to experience God's closeness here on earth, why would we want to go to heaven anyways? He is the center of everything there. If we don't enjoy being in his presence here and now, then heaven would not be heaven for us. Why would he send anyone there who doesn't long for him passionately here on earth? Let's come before God. Thank you.